podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Hell of Heels Podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. Uh, and hello. Welcome to episode 116. I feel I... like we are like restarting our age, but like, you know, we're 16 now because we're in the hundreds, you know? Oh, to be 16 again. Oh. No, I take it back. I'd hate it. No, no I don't want to go. I don't want to be 16 again. No, thank no. you. Like mid to late 20s? Yeah, that was a fun time. Um, Early 20s. I'll say early 20s. Only because mid to late 20s I've been dealing with um, infertility. So that's not been the most oh, okay. fun. You know. My early 20s, I was married to my first husband. And I try to black most of that out. So I don't want to go back to that time. I mean, my early 20s, I was still with Cody. I mean, I was oh, typing. So you don't want to go back there either. God, that's awful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, now you've got him semi-trained. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. He still doesn't bow when handing me a drink, but, you know, we'll work on it. Look, that was a one-time thing, so I'm glad I got it on camera. I'm glad you got it on camera, too. <laughs> but, anyways, hello. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Oh, I've got okay. popcorn. I've got water. I had a Coke. I don't know where that's at. It's getting flat somewhere. Oh. I'm drinking. See. Um, I'm eating my popcorn out of a strainer. Yeah, out of a colander. Um, because the bowls were dirty. I have to wash dishes, so that's fine. Yeah. I make Cody wash the dishes. Ugh. we don't have a dishwasher, so it's like I really hate washing dishes. I have a dishwasher. His name is Cody. <laughs> Our name is me. I guess oh. James used to do it, but now I'm not working, so I might as well do some dishes. Yeah. We also have an actual dishwasher. It just isn't hooked up because we haven't electrical issues. Okay. Our old one went out and just how it's wired. We have not taken the time to fix it. So, okay. That's even more annoying to have one and not be able to use it. Well, that's why I have Cody. Can I borrow him sometime? Sorry. I've got him to do my dishes. He's already a, a busy, busy dishwasher. Guess what? I found my Coke. Cody wants you to check Snapchat. Oh, God. It's snow. Oh, God. It wouldn't even... He sent it to me, too, but it wouldn't play for me, so I have no idea. I just know it's snow. And your snow is much different than mine. You don't Actual snow. snow. We get some snow. No. Like, the snow the other day was... It seemed like snow. I was able to make a snowball. Feels like snow to me. I don't know. But we only get, like... An inch at a time. Back to what we were doing. I do have stories I've got to share with you. Okay. Uh, I'm good. I'm getting ready to go back to work next week. Okay. You sound super excited for that. Do I? No. Okay. Yeah. I'm. (laughs) Your voice got a little squeaky when you're like next week. (laughs) I am ready to go back to work because I'm tired of sitting at the house. I get stir crazy really quickly. And I'm not the type of person to look forward to going grocery shopping. Like, I don't, I'm not, having that as the highlight of my week, that's not the life for me. So, I am ready to go back to work. It's the newness of juggling two kids now, back and forth, and getting two kids ready in the morning and all that, that I'm just like, okay, kind of want to do a a couple trial runs, but I also want to sleep in while I still can. Yeah, I don't blame you at all. (laughs) Because when James is off... Um, he takes the kids so I can right. sleep in. 
and it's a game changer. Right. That'll be fun, though, uh, figuring that out, at least for you. <sighs> yeah. I don't have kids yet, so I, don't have to... I also don't leave my house. Um, I'll let you know how it goes. Okay. I'm really Probably excited. Probably 10 minutes after <laughs> it happens. I'll get a text at 9 o'clock and be like, I just got to work. <laughs> also, I am fired. Also, I didn't have any credentials ready for me yet, so <laughs> what do they want me to do? Probably not. I need to check my email again and see if they got my email. Yeah. We already talked about this once, guys. This is your update, so I already know. But that's fun. Are you are you nervous to take the kids to daycare? Well, maybe not Annie, but Lee. Yeah, not really, because like I don't even think he leaves the, the car seat. I think I just give him the car seat. So like cool. Take this. Easy. Yeah. Annie, I have to herd her into the place and then there's days, random Tuesdays, where I have to peel her off of me. So Annie's Annie's always a wild card. That's because Annie's a little turd. Yes. she No, she's a large turd. Yes. She's the biggest in her class. Okay. So she's literally a big turd. You know what? Speaking of turds, <laughs> I've got, I've already told you about this bullshit, but I have mm-hmm. to tell everyone else. Um, I was talking to my dad and my little sister on the phone the other day. Um <laughs> <clears throat> This conversation started because, like, my dad, he's he's Hispanic. Like, he looks Hispanic. I don't. I got my looks from my mother. I am pale white. My mother is darker than I am, okay? Mm-hmm. So, like, growing up, my parents always joked around that I was the milkman's child. Because, mm-hmm. you know, my skin is the color of milk. But I was talking to my dad and the little sister, and I said something about being the milkman's child. Not even thinking about... I'm sorry, can I interject? Is that what that means? That's because what it means the, for us. You're the color of milk? I always thought it was because it, it couldn't be this guy's kid. It had to be some other guy. For my family, it's because I'm the pale white one. Okay. See, it makes sense. So I was like, have I been? Is this another Koisk situation? I need to know. I think it could be anything, but it's very clear. Like, obviously, my dad is my dad. But we always joked around that I got my mom's complexion. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I said something about being the milkman's child. My little sister's on the phone, and she's like, she's confused by it. She doesn't get the joke, but she said something. She's arguing. She's like, milk hasn't been delivered since 1870-something. And I'm like, we are not living in the 1780s. Like, okay, I get that. So she's arguing, and I said, I could have milk delivered to me right now, like, in DoorDash milk. And this sassy little shit, she goes, let me put this in small words so you understand. <laughs> Excuse I'm still adding you. That. I'm taking wow. that from a 10-year-old. I'm adding that to my repertoire because, dang, girl, <laughs> calm down. My dad was dying of laughter. <laughs> and so you know what I'm doing next time I have her over here for a sleepover? Please tell me. I'm going to DoorDash some milk straight to my door. And I'm going to make her walk her happy little ass out and grab it. Please tell me she's going to get, she's going to understand. Like, she'll get it. Oh, she's going to see the milk and be like, screw you, Bryce. I already told her I was going to do it. I said, (laughs) I don't care if that milk costs me 25 bucks. I'm doing it. (laughs) I'm doing it, damn it. (laughs) It's an investment worth it, okay? So, anyways. Even though this is the second time, it's still funny. I was like, you little shit. 
So now we all say that. So now me, my mom and dad, <laughs> let me tell you in little words. I was like, you little shithead. First of all, I know more than you, at least on this subject. I am the milkman's child. And then I had to explain to her why we said I was the milkman's child. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Mill, you're darker than I am. Hello. <laughs> so did she, she got it, though, once you explained it. Yeah, I think so. I think so she, she didn't care, but. But she understood the joke once you put okay. it in little words. I think so. Okay. Yeah. But then she gets mad because I always tease her and go, well, that's interesting that I just had two sleepovers this year for sure canceled. Because I do two sleepovers with her every year. Mm I was like, man, that's really insane how those two just randomly got canceled. Oh, no carnival sleepover, no pumpkin patch sleepover. So honestly, the carnival sleepover, I want to go to that. I'm 33. That sounds really fun. We just sleep at my house and she goes to the carnival. That sounds like a blast. I told you about summers in Utah this past summer, so, you know. Yeah, all the festivals, all the time. Every weekend. So. So. But yeah. Precious. That's just Utah. But there's that. I have more stories, too. I've got to tell you about my tattletale moments. Oh? Which I've already told you about, but I've got to tell our listeners about. Okay, I was going to act like I didn't know. Oh, that's fine. Okay. Um, I, t- I talked about it last episode, but I cut it out because last episode was getting really long. And I was like, it's fine. I'll just tell them later. <laughs> also, it was like in the middle of the episode when I like remembered it and I was going to move things around. And I said, nah. I forgot so, that. Yeah, I said, nah, that was too much work. So I was also sick, guys. Okay, can you not hear the congestion? Probably not, but I can hear the congestion. Anyways, um, yeah, so I've already, I've openly said I am a tattletale. I've told on my dad numerous times. Yeah. But the, the tables turned this time and I got to tell on my older brother. So there was a day, it was in December. It was uh, middle of December. I get a call from my dad. I hadn't talked to him, whatever. He goes, and this call starts with my dad going, what did your brother do? what do you mean he's like what did your brother do and i was like nothing that i'm aware of not today not this week i haven't even talked to him and my dad's like dang it i guess my dad called my brother i don't know what he was calling about but he called something completely unrelated and my brother answers the phone saying something to the effect of yeah yeah i know i'm a dick and my dad's like well i mean i'm not arguing but what'd you do And my brother is like, what do you think I did? (laughs) Obviously, I'm getting this from my dad. Mm -hmm. And my dad's like, no, but what did you do? So there's this back and forth. But my brother wouldn't tell my dad what it was. (laughs) And so, first of all, no one's arguing. Yeah, he's a jerk, okay? (laughs) But so I call my sister. No, I text my sister. I don't know what I did. I either called or text my older sister. And I was like, what did Landon do? And she's like, I thought he did something to you. At this point, my dad's already called her. (laughs) And so I'm like, no, I thought he did something to you. So we're going back and forth. And I'm like, I'm going to the source. Call my brother. I'm like, what did you do? Sibling code here. You got to tell me. (gasps) He didn't tell me. Yeah, he knows better. Uh, We're not good at sibling code in my family. But he didn't (laughs) tell me, okay? So I'm like, you know what? All right, I'll go to my next best source. I went to his wife. (laughs) Which, like, on her part, girl. I text her and I'm like, hey, this is the situation. Can you figure out what he did and tell me? Because I'm nosy and I need to know. So she texts me back later. She's like, well, I'm at work. I'll figure it out when I get home. 
totally fine. I can wait. She texts me later and she's like, he forgot to call your dad on his birthday and say happy birthday. I called my dad on my birthday. I called. I'm certain my older sister called too. Does she know at this point that she just straight up sold him out? Like She knew a couple seconds later because I got another text of her going, well, now he's mad at me. I don't give a shit. That's a you problem now. So you got to her first, basically. Yeah, I got to her first. (laughs) (laughs) So because my brother didn't honor sibling code, the first person I told was my dad. (laughs) I called him or I I don't know what I did, but I was like, hey, he forgot to call you on your birthday and say happy birthday, which obviously my dad didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. So we got so a couple now. days. Yeah, we got a couple days of like family text of us being able to mock him about it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. My joys in life are telling on my dad and telling on my brother. I see nothing wrong with this. Yeah, I was trying to think oh. of something smart to say, but like, no, I get it. As a girl, as a middle child, I get it. As a youngest, it was fine. It was great for most of the time. Yeah, yeah, and also as a youngest. I'm a daddy's girl, obviously. If you guys haven't caught on, I'm a daddy's girl. And (laughs) I forced Cody the other day to go to urgent care because he's had the same stinking cold that I have with the congestion and the cough and all that. And I was, his is up and down. I made him go to urgent care just to at least get antibiotics, something to help just clear him out a little bit. Okay. Because it's been weeks. He's been sick for like, I think it's probably been a month for him. Oh my God. I bet he's miserable. It's been two months for me, so he can just go suck on a lemon, okay? Yeah, calm down. Yeah. Anyways, so the other night, he's it was a snowstorm. And so we were were trying to get back to the Smiths and get home before the snowstorm. Like, it hadn't really started snowing, but we could see that it was coming in. And so we're heading home, and he's like, yeah, your dad's going to be pissed if I don't get home. Get daddy's little princess home. That's the third joy in life is telling on Cody. I was going to ask. <laughs> so I called my dad. I was like, you're going to be so proud of what Cody just said. And he's like, so I told him that he, he said something about how to get daddy's little princess home. So she's safe. Can't be driving in these weather conditions. <laughs> so ever since then, uh, my dad's been mocking Cody and saying, does he realize he's talking to daddy's little princess? <laughs> so how long did you wait to call your dad? Did you do it with him still in the car? Oh, it was immediate. Perfect. I would expect nothing less. He said it and I grabbed my phone and dialed. <laughs> Hold on one second, Cody. He's like, you are not. I was like, oh, I am. <laughs> There's that. I had one more story. Oh, guys, I've got one more story because, you know, my dad keeps he keeps me full of stories. You experienced this because I sent you the video. Oh, God, it was so boring. Yeah. So last week we talked about. During Amanda's case, we we talked about something very specific um, that we don't do in the mornings. And I get a message from my dad. It's a video. And it's like an 18-minute long video. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. No. But I can, it's like a graduation speech from like, it's like a college, you know, like a, mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't listen to where it was. But. I don't remember. I don't remember. But my dad sends this to me and I'm like, Okay. My dad doesn't send me motivational speeches. Calm down. What is this about? So I also get a call almost immediately after I get it. And my dad's like, he said something. He claims that he told me what's the first task he talks about. I heard what's the first thing. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Phone was breaking up when it happened. So I start watching and I'm like, well, 
can't be the welcome and the hellos. Guys, my dad sends me a freaking video about making your bed in the mornings. You want to know what I told him? <laughs> no. I'm yeah, still no. not going to make my bed. I then <laughs> sent him a screenshot of a study. I shouldn't say <laughs> of a study. Of Google. And it says, here's the thing. We sweat when we sleep. If you make your bed right when you wake up, you trap that moisture in the sheets, allowing dust mites to thrive. Gross. And you want to know what's even better? I asked my mom, I'm like, how often do you make your bed? She's like, we don't make our bed. So, Dad. How dare you make me listen to seven minutes of the most boring. Like, if I was graduating that day, I wouldn't have listened to it then. Okay. And you don't even make your own bed? He claims that he makes his side of the bed. I'm calling BS on that. You can't make a bed if you're only making half a bed. I'm sorry. I couldn't. I, I forgot you couldn't hear me blinks. Just blinking yeah. at you. Yeah. It was silence. I'm surprised. I was so silent that you couldn't hear me blinking at you. Because I also call bullshit. How do you make half oh. a bed? Matter of fact, I would like to see that. I'm requesting that photo, please. Make half a bed. Prove I'm just it. telling you that's what he he'll he'll do it. He'll make half a bed and send me a picture to send to you. Just you wait. <laughs> and oh, I'm gonna I'm say waiting. that doesn't count. You gotta do it daily. You gotta do the whole damn bed. It doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And then he also sends me, I didn't send this one to you. Uh yesterday he sends me a book. Okay. Oh no, I did send this to you. I'm just kidding. He sends me a book. It was actually by that, it's a US Navy person that What's doing speech? It's a Navy guy. Yeah, he's a Navy guy. Um, William H. McRaven, Admiral. He's an Admiral. Oh, retired Admiral. Yeah, it's a book that says "Make Your Bed," and you want to know what I told him? What something I never thought would ever come out of my mouth. My bookshelf is full. So I do remember reading this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's really set on uh, us making our beds. Still not going to happen. What if he buys you that book for your birthday? It's, I guess it's going somewhere not on my bookshelf. Do you have any uneven tables in your house? I'm sure I can find one. I can make <laughs> one. The couch is wobbling a little bit. <laughs> Maisie needs a miniature toy. It's you were fine. right, Dad. This book is really useful. Yeah, it was great, Dad. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Meanwhile, this, uh, a- this Navy Admiral is like, I didn't do shit to y'all. He didn't do shit. We... <laughs> I'm sure you're very motivational. I'm still not making my bed. No. Mm-mm. You lost me there. Look, the first thing I accomplish in the morning is getting my ass out of bed. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's my first accomplishment of the day. I don't even want to leave the bed. So the longer I'm lingering around the bed, the more angry I'm going to be that I can't get back in bed. Exactly. So it's just better for the entire planet for me to just get up and go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do I know? Those are the stories I had to share. I'll have another one on Sunday for you, but I'm waiting with bated breath. Anyways, so that's the that's my stories. That's how I am, if you're wondering. I don't really think I got anything else going on. Well, are you almost ready for stories then? I, I guess I should so. say, are you ready for social media? That I'm ready for. Okay, well, guys, we've got socials. We've got Facebook and Instagram. And yes, I am aware last week I said Twitter, not X. It's because Twitter's better. Who yeah. Why would you name it X? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Anyways, we've got all of them. X is Hell on Heels Pod. Facebook, Instagram, Hell on Heels Podcast. We have our email, Hell on Heels Podcast at gmail.com. 
Um, we have our Patreon up and going for specials. We're working on getting some more game nights out. Um, we have our link tree up. So if you need to get links to any of the listening platforms or any of our social media, you can go on to Linktree to do that. If you just Google Hell on Hills podcast Linktree, we should be the first one that comes up. Um, but yeah, so those are all up and going. And then as a reminder, tell your friends to listen as well. That's how we can continue to grow and keep releasing these episodes for you guys and keep uh, telling you all about our bullshit. You know you want to hear it. Well, I mean. You keep coming back. You do keep coming back. I think. Please, y'all, y'all, y'all come back now. You hear? They do keep coming back. So, yeah. you know. Not false advertising on that. Okay. All right. Are you ready for a story? You know, every time you ask me that, I never know. Because yours are always just kind of uh, Excuse me. I don't know what you mean by that. I'm slightly offended. You're full of shit. <laughs> it is not a torture story this time. Thank though I will tell... Okay, I've got to do a little apology to my dad. He requested... He requested a story that I am working on and my notes are basically done. I just need to rewrite some of it and I needed to step away for a couple days to, to get those creative juices to rewrite those pieces that I'm like, I don't love this. So dad, my next true crime should, should hypothetically be um, the story you requested, which by the way, he requested before Christmas. See, I get that though, because I've been, um, well, I'll do it eventually, but you know I have BTK claimed. Uh-huh. And I'm so sick of hearing about Dennis freaking Raider. I cannot stand that. Y'all, I'm sure I'll go off about it, okay? But he's so stupid. Along with the... I, just, I, I get having to take a, a, take a step back. Because I've been doing that story for a hot minute, too. So, yeah. no judgment I just, here. I just needed, like, I spent some time... Because technically that would have been this episode I shared it. But I was rereading my notes and I was like, some of this doesn't flow right to me. And it's a little bit different of a story than we've done. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to go through and make sure I'm rewriting these notes before I present it. Okay. Um, Just because it is different than what we've done. It focuses on a single person's life versus a specific case. So. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I, I want to rewrite it, make sure everything's correct and all of that. So, Dad, I'm working on it. Okay, don't don't freaking start with me. I'll get there. Get off her back. She's busy. And if I hear about it, it's going to be pushed out another week. I, I'm telling you that right now, Dad. Two weeks. So you better watch paranormal. out. paranormal. So then it would be. Yeah, sorry. Two you, weeks got, you got two weeks. Sorry, Dad. Mm-hmm. So instead, I was like, well, I need a story. I consulted our ideas spreadsheet. And I literally just scrolled and clicked. And whatever I clicked is what I ended up with. So we've got a disappearance. Oh, no. I hate these for a whole nother reason. I know. It's it's hard because they're like, where are the answers? We all, like, the family wants answers. We want answers. Like, come on, Mm -hmm. guys. The family wants answers. This one's a really hard one. Um, But we're going to talk about the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. So, Brian Schaefer, he was born on February 25th, 1979. He grew up in Pickerington, Ohio. It's about 25 minutes away from the heart of Columbus, Ohio. So, you know, not too far. Brian was the oldest child and son to his parents, Randy and Renee Schaefer. He had a little brother named Derek. And from what I could find, those are the only two kids that they had. 
they follow the rules. You're only supposed to have two guys. Yeah, don't let them outnumber you. I've, so, I've got that rule ingrained up here. So we've got Brian and Derek, you said? Brian and Derek, yep. Okay. Now, Brian was close with his family, but he was especially close with his mother, Renee. So they had a really great relationship. And ultimately, Brian, he was just kind of a good kid. He graduated from high school in 1997, after which he actually went on to attend Ohio State University. And ultimately, he was just kind of described as outgoing, he's free-spirited, very smart, he's a jokester, kind of an all-around good person. And, I mean, from what I could find, he was a smart dude. He was getting good grades in college. I mean, he's, a, he's smarter than I am because he studied for six years, hard work. He graduated with a degree in microbiology and a minor in molecular genetics Brian, in 2003. Calm, calm down. Right? I'm like, I don't even know what those things are. I mean, I do, but no. Uh, yeah. So what? he's a smart dude. He got good grades. He did take a year off after he graduated with his, um, I don't know if what this was. It was an undergrad. But he took it some time away from school. He took a year off and worked as a radiology tech assistant at Ohio State University Hospital. But he wasn't done with his education. After a year, he would go back to OSU, which is Ohio State still. And he would begin his studies at Ohio State University's College of Medicine in 2004. He is a force. Right? He's a smart dude. Like, yeah. Anyone that can get into med medical school, like, for the most part, you're a pretty smart person there. Like, there's a lot. Anatomy is hard. Yeah. I, I took it in high school and I liked it, but I vividly remember coming home the first day of class and having to write over a hundred definitions. And I was like, I've made a horrible mistake. I should have just coasted. Uh -huh. I should have coasted. Yeah. So he was actually inspired to join the medical career by his mother. His mother was actually a nurse. And so, like I said, they were pretty close, him and his mom. And so she is his inspiration for wanting to go for his medical degree. Now, just because he's pursuing his doctorate in medicine didn't actually mean that he didn't have other ambitions. Brian was a big fan. Me too, Brian. A big fan of tropical locations. Like, me too, oh. Brian. We're on the same page there. And he, basically, he's like, I like the more relaxed lifestyle that he sees. And it just kind of felt like his, his vibe, I guess. He looks like somebody you would find on a beach all the time. He does. He really does. Mm -hmm. So he would actually tell his friends that his real ambition was to start a band. And... Like I said, he loved the tropical lifestyle portrayed by Jimmy Buffett. B Buffet. Jimmy Buffett. That's calling you now. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I spelled his last name wrong. Um, Jimmy Buffett. I know that. I saw it as soon as I said it. It came out of my mouth. Anyways. <laughs> You're just hungry. That's all. We're all hungry. I had to drink this nasty drink, okay? And it, it threw me off. Anyways, so he loved the, lo the lifestyle portrayed by Jimmy Buffett. And he also had this love for the band Pearl Jam. Like, he loved this band so much, he actually had a tattoo of their logo on his arm. Or, like, one of their covers. Yeah. So, like, he was a big fan. But, I mean, he still was doing really well in school. Like, he might have told them, you know, my real ambition is this. But he still was taking med medical school seriously. And not long after he started medical school... I mean, I guess like a year in, he had gotten himself a girlfriend. He had met Alexis Wagner, who was also a medical student at OSU. 
And they dated for a few months and they became pretty serious. So serious that many believed that Ryan would be proposing to Alexis on a spring break, break trip to Miami they had planned for April of 2006. Oh, okay. So, like, very I mean, serious. When you know, you know. I, it didn't specify how long they had been dating. Most sources said a few months, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if they mean three, four, five months, or if this is, like, seven, eight months. Yeah. Now, on March 6, 2006, tragedy would strike when Brian's mother would pass of... Lord myelodysplasia at the age of 51. Oh, from, what, no. from what I can find, this is a bone. It's either a bone or a blood cancer. It was described as both. It is referenced as bone marrow failure disorder, though. That has to be pretty painful, too. Uh-huh. His oh, mom had God. been diagnosed in 2005, so that it wasn't like um. I mean, that was still pretty sudden. She was diagnosed in 2005 and passed in 2006. Now, on the outside, Brian appeared to be handling his mother's passing pretty well. But his close friends would still say that her death was really hard for him. In the weeks after his mother's passing, it's reported that he asked Alexis to run away with him. And it's not clear if he was joking or not. She wasn't sure. Yeah. And he would also reportedly tell Alexis that she could move on and find someone else. Um, okay. That feels kind of out of the, out of the blue. He's dealing with a lot of emotions. Like, he just lost his mother. He's in a dark place. And so, I'm sure he had a lot of negative thoughts and a lot of self-doubt. And de- there was, I'm sure there's depression. Um, you know, that's, it's, this is all really soon after his mother's passing. But Alexis was still supportive. And she's like, no, I'll be here for you. And she stood by his side. Alexis and Brian had still planned to go on this trip to Miami, which would be just a couple weeks after his mother's passing. And I mean, ultimately, you've got to think, you know, with the passing of his mother, upcoming trip to Miami, school exams, his girlfriend, just everything. Brian's already a really busy guy, right? Yeah, I'm sure. And this trip to Florida, and I'm sure this was emotional for him as well, because reportedly, this was also a final gift from his mother. Oh, God. So I'm sure there's a lot of emotions leading up to it. I'm sure he doesn't want to. I'm sure he wants to go, but doesn't want to go. Like, he wants to go because it is from his mom. Like, I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah, he's going to be. I just imagine he's struggling with a lot in that. Right. Right. On March 31st, 2006, OSU would have their last day of classes and end for spring break when that is a Friday. To celebrate. Brian and his father decide we're going to go out for a nice steak dinner that night and they're, you know, they're going to have some time. There are some reports that there might have been tension because Brian's father, Randy, might have disagreed with the amount they got from the inheritance from his mother. Um, Some reports stated that Randy thought that the boys were getting too much and that Randy believed he should have gotten more um, or that Randy had gotten a lot and that he was going to be cutting off Brian financially because they had been supporting him for school. However, I'm going to say there's only one, one source I found that information and in. no other sources mentioned that there was tension because of inheritance money. I, I think ultimately it was probably, they were going through a lot in general. Like the family, this is just a couple weeks after the passing of Renee. They're still mourning. Yeah. Which is going to mean like tensions are already high yeah. and fuses are short. And on top of that, 
Brian is still focused on school. He's still doing exams. Uh, I think they said final exams. I forgot to double check calendars. But I feel like final exams wouldn't be there. I feel like maybe midterms, right? For summer, though? He's about to go to Miami in the summer, right? Spring break. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Spring break. I'm sorry. Yeah. Spring break. I feel like that may be midterm. He had important tests, right? He's Yeah. Brian's father during this dinner, Randy, he would know. Brian looked exhausted. But he's in medical school. He'd been studying and pulling all-nighters for these cram cram sessions for these exams. So he was like, eh, he looked exhausted, but that's not anything abnormal. Yeah. I mean, I can I can kind of see that, given everything they've been through on top of college test, test time in college. Brian had looked so exhausted that Randy actually would comment later that he had actually thought it was a bad idea for Brian to go out later that night with a friend. Because, I mean, they were celebrating, right? It's... Spring break to celebrate. Well, you know, for a week at least. Yeah, sorry. But Randy never voiced his concerns to Brian. So in his mind, he's like, maybe this isn't a good idea. But he was like, no, 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 it's fine. So Brian continues with his plans after dinner and he goes and meets with his buddy. Some reports stated roommate, but this roommate's name is William Clint. And I'm going to refer to him as Clint. William Clint Florence. So Brian and Clint would meet at, you're going to love this, the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Let's go right now. Right now. It is closed. I'm sorry. Bullshit. But the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Wait, so if it's closed, that means the name is available. No, because I think they might have opened a second one that also might be closed. I'm not sure. I don't know. Guys, make up your mind. Okay. Because I... Honestly, I don't even want the name. I want to go and I want a t-shirt. You want the Ugly Tuna Saluna t-shirt? Absolutely. Oh my god. UTS t-shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they meet at the Ugly Tuna at 9 p.m. And, you know, they start having some drinks, having some beers. At about 10, Brian would call his girlfriend, Alexis. She did not join them to party it up. She had gone home to visit her family in Toledo. And, I mean, this is, she's, they're about to go on to Miami. Um, so this is the 31st. Their plane to go to Miami was supposed to leave on the 3rd. Okay. So she's like, I'm going to go visit my family before our Miami trip. I'll see you on Monday at the airport. Brian had called. He was confirming their trip to Miami. They were scheduled to leave that coming Monday. And he also tells her, hey, I love you. You know, I'm sure they were sappy about it. I mean, they're probably still in that honeymoon phase. But, yeah, you know, the huge. And then they finish up and Brian and Clint, they continue their night and they actually just go bar hopping. According to Clint... They would go to a new bar and just have one shot, and that was it. They'd have a shot of liquor, hang out for a little bit, and then move on when they were ready. Now, the area they're in, I mean, college town, there were quite a few bars, so they kind of just went down the street. Now, sometime after midnight on, so we're now into April 1st, 2006, Brian and Clint would meet a friend of Clint's, and this is Meredith Reed. Meredith, she offers to give them a ride back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna, where they started, with their bar hopping adventure. I mean, they're at this point, they're intoxicated, right? Yeah. But it's not clear if Meredith is. I assume she's not if she's driving. Meredith gives them a ride back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna. And I what I could find, it looks like the Ugly Tuna Saluna was about a mile and a half from where they met Meredith in the short night, a uh, short, short north neighborhood of Columbus. So they had walked about a mile and a half. 
Okay. It so could be further. Walking. There's a possibility that the original Ugly Tuna Saluna was in a different location than what it was showing. I struggled to find the difference between the original one and the Ugly Tuna Saluna 2. Okay. So I, that could be off. That's just what I could find. And, you know, with with Google, I only have so much information. Is that the, what the second one's called? The Ugly Tuna Saluna 2? Uh-huh. See, they, no, they didn't do that right. They could have gone with, like, still Ugly Tuna Saluna. Double Ugly Tuna Saluna. <laughs> second Ugly Tuna Saluna. Yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of options, but they just put a two at the end of it. Uh, they ended weak. Yeah. They started strong, though, with Ugly Tuna Saluna. Mm-hmm. That, maybe that's why they closed. They didn't name it right. But they started strong. Why did they have to close the first one? I don't know. I don't know. That's a, actually, I don't know. It's a tragedy, though. It is. But she drives them back, and she actually stays with them to have a final round with Brian and Clint. And while they're there, Brian would actually separate from Meredith and Clint. Some reports stated that Brian and Clint would get into an argument and Brian would walk away. It's not clear what the argument was or if there even was an argument before between Brian and Clint. Um, so after a while, Clint and Meredith, they're like, we got to go figure out where Brian is. It's, you know, it's getting late, probably almost closing time. So they do search for him and they attempt to call his phone multiple times and the bar closes at 2 a.m. Like they search bathrooms, you know, all the areas they could think of. They looked for him. And when the bar closed at 2 a.m., they would wait outside the bar, just kind of looking for him in the departing crowd. Yeah. But he never came out. They never saw him. And they thought, well, maybe he just walked home, you know, and he forgot to say, like, to let them know and say goodbye. He yeah, only lived okay. six blocks away, so. Oh, okay. So that wouldn't be out of the realm of norm, really. I will say that the area is described as a little bit of a rougher area, so it could have been less safe for him to walk home. But, yeah. I mean, but maybe... If he's- if he only lives six blocks away and he's drunk, he might not have really mm-hmm. seen that as a big a deal. Right, right. So they're like, oh, he must have just walked home. No big deal. And so they call it a night and they head home themselves. Now, the following day, Meredith would take Clint to get his car from Brian's apartment complex. So if Clint was his roommate, which I don't know if I mentioned. Some reports said roommate, some just said friend. But if Clint, Clint was his roommate, why wouldn't he be back at the apartment with him? I'm not sure. So I'm assuming maybe they were roommates in the past and just like friends now. But they go back. Meredith takes Clint back to get his car, which was at Brian's apartment complex. But they don't check on Brian. They still hadn't heard from him, but they just get Clint's car and head home. Okay. Now that weekend, Brian's father and Alexis, they would both attempt to contact Brian Saturday, Sunday, but they weren't able to get a hold of him. And that following Monday... Brian would miss his flight to Miami that he and Alexis had booked. So she went to the airport from what I could find and he never appeared. Oh God. I can't imagine how that. Yeah. So at this point, they obviously knew something was wrong and Brian is officially reported as missing to police. Police would begin their investigation at the ugly to Luna, the ugly tuna saluna. That's a hard one to say. And this is because that's the last place Brian was seen. Now, on the Ugly Tuna security footage, Brian, Clint, and Meredith are seen riding the escalator to the bar entrance because it's on a second floor. And this is at 1.15 a.m. 
Okay. Which, first of all, how are y'all partying that hard? Like, I know it's a Friday. I know you guys are in college. I know you're in your 20s. But, like, I'm in my 20s. I don't party that hard. I go to bed. I could do it in my 20s. And now I'm like, y'all, these kids, like, y'all got to go to sleep so I can go to sleep. It is 830. Like, it, I, once it hits 9 o'clock, I'm like, I gotta go. Look, I've never been a partier, so maybe that's why. I, I just couldn't do it. I like my sleep. I like being home. I don't know. But they're seen riding the escalators up at 1.15. Brian is seen leaving the bar just before 2 a.m. And he's seen chatting with two women that are in their 20s. He could then be seen moving off the camera and back into the bar to re-enter but there is never any footage of brian ever leaving the bar again what there is no footage of him leaving the bar again is that is that the only entrance no so police believe it was possible to miss brian leaving on the cameras originally the bar had two cameras one would pan across the area constantly so it was just automatically just back and forth. So it's possible that it had panned away prior to him leaving. Okay. The other camera could pan, but it was operated manually. Or he could have left through another exit. Now, I want to say some sources said there were only two exits. Some said there were four. I'm not sure which one is accurate. I'm going to just tell you about the four potential exits that I could find. So there's the main one that we just talked about. There's one. There was also an emergency exit. That one was also covered by a camera and a security guard. Neither the camera or the security guard had seen him attempt to leave through this exit. Though, when police got the exit supposedly from this this emergency exit camera, they did say it looked like there was a chunk edited out or like a blip or something. But the security guard was like, no, I never saw anyone come over here. I never saw him come over here specifically. So they're like, okay, he probably didn't. Another exit police doubted he would have left through due to the fact that there was construction, like, right outside the store. And it would have just opened right up to it. And they basically were like, this area with the construction would have been hard for a sober person to navigate. (laughs) And so for him to be not sober and try to navigate that, like, he would have been probably hurt or, you know, and there was no sign of him there. And so they're like, "Mm, doubtful. And then there are the reports that state there is another exit that was not monitored by cameras or a guard, which could have been a possible exit point. But there is no evidence. First of all, I couldn't find clarity if there were really four exits or if there were only two. But there's no evidence that he did or did not use this fourth potential exit. So police also speculated, like, is it possible that Brian had put on a disguise or like a hat and avoided the cameras and hit his face when he was exiting? And this was pretty early on. All that trouble. I mean, he's, they know at this point he's going through a lot of emotional distress with the passing of his mother. So, like, if he wanted to disappear? Yeah. Okay. So, police are not, they're not quite sure what to make of this, but they do continue the search for them. And they pull more security footage. And this area that the ugly tuna was in, I've already said it wasn't the best area. There are a lot of bars stores in the Arena District of Columbus that had an abundance of cameras. So Columbus, at the time at least, 
had the most security cameras of any city in Ohio. Oh. So just show like what these shops were, you know, doing. So police would obtain camera footage from three other nearby bars and they're trying to piece together, you know, how did he leave? But none of the footage showed him leaving the bar or any trace of Brian Schaefer still. So he just, at this point, he is just straight up, just poof. Yeah. What the, okay. So police, they begin searching the old fashioned way. They got to go and hoof it. So they begin inspecting dumpsters, asking residents, handing out flyers. Flyers are posted. They have cadaver dogs that they utilized. um, And they're just searching for them. Like, they don't really have much of a choice. And Mm -hmm. early on in the investigation, reports stated that up to 50 officers could be working or searching for Brian at a single given moment. That's really, like, I'm glad they they put that much effort into it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, they took the search for him very seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, even on the flyers, it didn't only show Brian's picture, but they would include images of that Pearl Jam tattoo that Brian had on his arm. Okay, yeah. They also noted that Brian had a distinctive fleck, fleck in one of his irises. So, like, they're doing what they can to get details out. And, I mean, to me, this seems like police are pretty on it. They were, I mean, they even obtained permission from the city of Columbus that allowed them to enter and search the sewer system for him. Oh, I would hate to have to work that day. Yeah, that would not be my favorite day to work. That's <laughs> a rookie sick. job. Yeah. Well, maybe not if you're looking for a for a person, a missing person. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, you just send them down there, and then if they find anything, you're like, don't touch anything, call me immediately. Yeah, but if they're a rookie, maybe they don't know what to look for. So you just send the least liked, I don't know, what's above a rookie, cadet? Just, Dad, tell us who you would send yeah. into the sewers. Us. <laughs> no. Us no, we're the sewer rats here. Okay. There's no way in hell he would trust us with something like that. Oh, you're right. You are absolutely <laughs> right. Anyways, so they're they're looking and they do look, of course, at his apartment, which I've already stated was six blocks away. His car is still there and nothing looked like it was missing or off about his apartment. Everything was fine. And at this point, police are just striking out with all of their attempts to find him. There's just no sign of Brian. And, I mean, they searched a multiple-mile radius around the Ugly Tuna in every direction, you know? And they had so many routes of failure, they actually begin to consider, is there foul play? Was there an accident? What's going on? And police would ask those who had seen Brian the night of his disappearance to take a polygraph test. So Brian's father passed. Meredith Reed passed. Several other unnamed individuals passed. But one person, Clint Florence, he refused to take the test. Like, he just was like, no, I won't take it. And the two women that Brian had been seen chatting with on the CCTV, they were identified, but they claimed that they were never asked to take the test. That's not a good look on his friend. Does his friend have a lawyer at this point? I don't know if at this point he had a lawyer or not. Because, like, if he ar- if he already had a lawyer, like, I can be like, okay, maybe the lawyer's like, the hell you are going to take that. But it's, like, I don't know. I'm iffy about, like, polygraph tests because I know they're not always reliable. But also, like, it's just, it doesn't look good that you're not Refusing? Gonna... Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Okay. 
But months would pass and there's still no sign of Brian. Alexis Wagner, his girlfriend, she would reportedly call Brian's phone every single night for months. Now, typically it would go straight to voicemail because, you know, it's not in service or uh, not that like the phone number was still working, but it was turned off or something. She did this for months? Yeah. Oh, God. Until one day in September when the phone actually rang three times. What? Yeah. Instead of going straight to voicemail, it actually rang. And then what? So it would ping at a cell tower in Hillard, which is about 14 miles from Brian's last known location. Now, unfortunately, Brian's phone provider would state that it was likely a computer glitch. Like, it was just something in their system. But there was just no proof it was a computer glitch or something else. And nothing ever came of this. There was just, there's nothing. They just know it pinged at this tower in Hillard. And... Then it went straight to voicemail after that. See, that seems strange, but I know back when Sprint was a thing and we had it, I could, like, I would call my parents or something and it it would ring and ring and ring on my end and then just go to voicemail. But on their end, it would never ring. And same thing, like, mm-hmm. I think James had called me before and he had tried to call me and he was like, why didn't you answer? And I'm like, my phone never rang. Like, it was very, it wasn't strange. So I, I guess it could happen. It was 2006 as well. So, you know, oh, developing early technology. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so, that's weird to say. I know. Early <laughs> days of cell phones, okay? God, I remember beepers. Like, that's why I'm like, early days. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they just have no proof. They have nothing. Police have nothing, and they have no idea what to make of what they do have. And that's always something that's so frustrating with any of these disappearance cases is they just have nothing. And I mean, they were tracking Brian's credit cards, bank, cell phone, and it, they were just never used. And even after a year, his family and friends are starting to lose hope. Like nothing has ever come of it. Now, police would get tips of sightings of Brian from, that range from Mexico to Sweden. And none of these tips would any, ever bring any breakthroughs. Randy Schaefer wanted to find his son. He, I mean, he's already lost his wife and then he lost his son within a month of each other. Oh my gosh, this poor freaking family. Uh Uh-huh. So Randy, he would actually enlist the help of a psychic. And the psychic would tell Randy that Brian's body was in water near a bridge or a pier. This led the family. So Randy and his little brother, Derek, not Randy's little brother, um, Brian's little brother, Derek, yeah. they get waiters and they end up spending a lot of their free time along the shores of the Olentangy River. And okay. the the family, along with other citizens that had become vested in the case, they would just spend this time searching for Brian in the water. Their efforts would, however, however be in vain as they never discovered anything. In September 2008, there was a heavy windstorm. During this windstorm, Randy Schaefer would be doing some yard work, mostly just like clearing debris, when a branch would blow off from a nearby tree, and this branch would strike Randy, and this would be a fatal strike. <gasps> what? Uh-huh. Randy's body was discovered by neighbors the following morning, and they would call police. An online condolence book in honor of Randy would be set up. One of the signatures would read, quote, To Dad, Love Brian, U.S. Virgin Islands. If that wasn't Brian, fuck you. Yeah. 
So people saw this and a lot of people are like, oh my God, Brian's alive. He's living in the U.S. Virgin Islands. He's living his new life. It would, however, later be determined the post originated from Franklin County, Ohio, and that it was likely a hoax. Oh my God. What is wrong with people? Now, after this tragic event, this would leave the only surviving immediate family of Brian's to be his younger brother, Derek. This poor man. I know. Is he rich? Derek, I don't know. I just, I want him to never have another problem again for the rest of his life. Well, I hope he doesn't, but. In 2014, police stated they were still getting at least two tips a month on Brian's case. And what the number is today is unclear. However, none of those tips have ever led to anything. And this case got so much attention early on that even Pearl Jam would take time during a concert, I think was in 2006. In between songs, they would ask for tips on Brian's disappearance. Good on them. Yeah. Again, just nothing. They got nothing. Now, the police would state that they had three theories. But they would decline to even discuss them generally when they were interviewed by Columbus Monthly. So it's unclear what their theories are, but police are certain that Brian did not leave that night on the escalators. They said with 100% certainty to this day, they are certain he did not leave on those escalators. Is that this picture that I'm looking at? Yes. Okay. So that is, I think that's him coming back in. I can't remember what one that is now. Okay. Oh, no, that's him and his friends. So that's them coming Okay, so in. that's the original, like, that's when they got... Yeah, that's, like, 1.15 a.m. Okay. But he never left. Uh-huh. Okay. So, some of those theories about Brian's disappearance, many believe that Brian was a victim of the smiley face murders. Have you heard of those? Yes, and you got, like, when you got, like, halfway through the story, I was like, wait a minute, this sounds really familiar. Um, the smiley face killer if i'm remembering correctly i I think it's still only a theory at this point because they go by graffiti right and it always seems to be younger like healthy well-built dudes i'm gonna be honest i didn't do a lot of research on it because i'm sure we'll do a case on it i actually added it to the spreadsheet just so that we Mm -hmm. could um but essentially This is a theory from New York detectives. They believe that 45 young men who had been found in bodies of water across the Midwest, they weren't accidental drownings. Mm -hmm. They believe they were actually the work of a serial killer or multiple serial killers. Now, a lot of people believe this is a possibility because there are a lot of believed victims in the smiley face theory. But it's also a very widely disputed one. Police, they did momentarily like consider this could be likely. But then FBI was like, mm, I don't think this is going to be a part of Brian's disappearance here. I don't think this was the smiley face theory. And so there's that theory there. Now, many people believe that Brian just left on his own. He went to start his own life. Police find it possible that that night of Brian's disappearance, Brian changed clothes or used a hat to cover his face from cameras, or he left through an uncommon exit with no security. Some believe that he left the bar, potentially took his own life, was abducted, robbed, murdered. But most commonly, it's that he is living somewhere else. There may have been, nope, there have been many reported sightings of Brian, none of which have led to anything. In 2019, an image of a man would surface. This man was allegedly an American man that was homeless in Tijuana. 
And this man bore a very strong re- resemblance to Brian Schaefer. So Derek, he had a lot of hope. He's like, this could be Brian. And the image they sent to the detective in charge of Brian's case in 2020. And the detective actually sends the image to FBI for facial recognition and analysis. Unfortunately, though, that hope of this being Brian is short-lived as the facial recognition would conclude that the man was not, in fact, Brian. So They do look a lot alike. I didn't have that man's picture in there. Oh, well, then who is this guy? Sorry. Would you just, just chill? Just kidding. So, I mean, they're they're getting reports like this, though, quite frequently. I mean, they even had a report of him in Sweden, like... Like every all over the place. Everywhere, yeah. They they've had things across the globe. Nothing's panned out, and there are no answers for Derek. Now, Derek doesn't dispute the idea that Brian is still alive. He does think it's a possibility. But the last theory is that there is some sort of a foul play, or more specifically, that someone knows more than what they're leading on to. More specifically, that Brian's friend Clint Florence may have somehow been involved. Clint had refused to take a lie detector test. And many believe that Clint knows more than what he shared. Like, that he knows something. Whether he knows of what happened to Brian or where Brian left or where he is, people believe that Clint knows a lot more than what he shared. And has he ever come out and, and like, disputed that? Or is he just being hush-hush? So, in 2009, shortly after Randy Schaefer's death, Clint Florence's lawyer, Neil Rosenberg, he would write to Don Corbett. Don is a private investigator who would volunteer his time to help the search for Brian. In the letter, it addressed Clint Florence's continued refusal to take a polygraph test. And it addressed that Neil Rosenberg had learned that the police believed that Brian Schaefer was alive, or at least that's what Neil is claiming. This is what Neil Rosenberg stated. If Brian is alive, which is what I'm led to believe after speaking with the detective involved, then it is Brian and not Clint Florence who is causing his family pain and hardship. Brian should come forward and end this. So is he possibly saying, like, like is this supposed to be saying, like, or lead them to believe that Clint might know something, but it's nothing that was done. Oh, what am I trying to say? Like, like he wasn't responsible for it. Like, there yeah, was nothing malicious. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word. Yeah. Basically, what they're saying is, hey, the police believe Brian's alive, so why are you guys looking at Clint? It's Brian's fault that his family's in pain. I mean, but if Clint can give them something that'll help him find them, help them find him, excuse me. Well, according to Clint Florence, he did not have anything to hide. He claims to have told everything he do from the beginning and did not see a value in doing so again. I mean, yeah, but... I don't know. That's still kind of sketchy in my... Like, if this is your friend, don't you want him to be found? Like, if you went missing and the cops reached out to me, I would be like, first of all, I live, like, 26 hours away from this woman or something like that. I don't know. I made that up. Sounds good, though. Sure. Uh, But if you want me to tell you that twice a year for every three years, I can do that. That's fine. I can talk to you. polygraph test. Like, why does it matter? Why is it that... I have nothing to hide. I already told them. I don't see a point in doing it again. Like, if you have nothing to hide, then just tell them again, dude. I don't. I don't get it. That's what I don't get either. It, it's. I don't know. I get to an extent why he's like, I've already told him everything. Okay. Well, that's fine. 
But they're asking you, like the family is asking you to tell them on a polygraph test as well because they're trying to find answers. Yeah. And they currently feel like you are preventing them from getting answers. And I mean, it is, it's kind of, it's kind of sketchy. It, yeah, it kind of is. I'm sorry. It's not, I'm sorry. I just, maybe this is just me and you. I just, sorry if you, if you disappeared and they're like, we need you to do a polygraph test. I'd be like, yeah, sure. I know nothing about where she lives or how she disappeared Mm so unless they were like intimidating him or something if that was the case i don't know that we would ever know that but like i I don't know i'm sure it's possible it's possible he had a lawyer that advised him against it as well i'm not sure when he got a lawyer Mm -hmm. but but even that looks kind of sketchy right like this just feels like there's more to it mm-hmm. the there's no value in doing so again well the value is just giving the family peace of mind how does that not have value i mean yeah there can even be if you want to be selfish about it there can even be value in talking to them again so they leave you alone clearing your there's, name yeah there's plenty of value i don't know why you refuse to see it yeah, no, and there are many that were close to Brian that are like, no, Clint is not forthcoming, at least not forthcoming enough. Like, he's not telling us something. And Derek Schaefer, Brian's brother, would state, quote, as soon as the detective started getting involved, that's when he pretty much had no contact with anybody. I've always thought he definitely knows something, just won't come forward with it. And this is what he stated in reference to Clint Florence. Oh. Now, I mentioned the family doesn't deny, and Derek does not deny the idea that Brian could be alive and living his life somewhere else. But he believes that it's possible Clint Florence knows where Brian is. Alexis Wagner, she believes that Clint is also withholding information. She, however, believes that Brian is dead and did not run off. Alexis, she's just like, I can't imagine him just taking off like that. Two different thoughts there for people that were very close to him. In 2021, the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation released an age-progressed photo of what Brian Schaefer may look like at the age of 42. That's (laughs) the photo you were asking about. That's the age-progression one. Oh, wow. That's why it looks like him. Yeah, that's why it looks like him. I was right. I'm just saying. (laughs) So, Brian was 27 at the time of his disappearance. Today, Brian's case is still open and unsolved. If you do have any information about Brian, you can contact the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers. Just make sure you have, you know, information of value. Don't just call for fun. Um, in 2021, Crime Stoppers was actually offering a $100,000 reward for any information leading to anything about Brian Schaefer. And that's the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Well, just the same as every other disappearance. Every other, I was going to say every other disappearance, every other true crime that we do. But uh, disappearances hit different. They're just, they, they're different. Because you have nothing, nothing. to go on. And I can't, uh, I can't, I hate it because I feel like I say I can't imagine every week, but here I am saying it again. But it, I mean, it's true. I mm-hmm. I can't imagine. And he just seemed like such a good person too and was... On the way to do incredible things. Yeah, a smart dude. He was, I mean, medical school. Yeah. He was Microbiology. Gonna he was going to contribute a hell of a lot more than I do. Yeah. Well, this is what we contribute. Damn, you didn't have to agree with me, Bryce. Well, I'm agreeing <laughs> because I don't contribute much. I'm the same level as you here. Yeah, I got you. I'm so. just messing with you. 
I'll agree with you any day. But I think I'm ready for an another story because these disappearances always just make me so sad. Uh, well, this week I have a haunting. Cool. Well, it's not. It's okay. It's Is not it a, a downer? Uh, kind of. It's not a haunting. It's a downer. Damn it's not, you. I, it's, okay, look. I had to do this story because I need Scotland to know what Scotland's holding on to. Okay? So. Okay. Scotland, this, did you hear? This is a strange phenomenon with a touch of haunting. Okay. Yeah. There's a little bit of haunting. It takes place in Texas. Or, I mean, Scotland. There's a little bit of Texas. We got it. We got it all here today. Yeehaw. <laughs> so. Um, I am going to tell you about Overton House and Overton Bridge today. It is in, uh, it's in the UK. It is near Dunbarton in Scotland. And Overton House and Overton Bridge, okay, y'all, they're gorgeous. They are absolutely gorgeous. So they're both listed buildings too. Uh, I'm sure... Other cities have it. I know for anybody in Mobile, a listed building in the UK is like a historic home back in Mobile. So they are, they're basically protected because of their history or their architecture. In Scotland specifically, listed buildings are maintained by the historic environment. Scotland, H-E-S. They cannot be demolished or even altered without permission. And they're cat the listed buildings are categorized into groups, and each country has their different groups. Scotland has A, B, and C. I like it. Easy. They do like a grading system. Exactly. Yeah. So A buildings, they are outstanding examples of architecture or history. B is a major example, and C is a representative example. I think we talked about this a little bit with the um, Highgate Cemetery. Okay. I think they use the same same system. I thought so, because when I was reading this, it sounded familiar, and I know I'm not smart enough to just know this off the top of my head, so that it's makes sense. We, I already educated you on it, but re-educate us all. Okay. Well, that was pretty much it, though. I was done. I tried to keep it short and sweet. Oh, I tried to keep it short and sweet because we've already touched on it, so yeah, that sounds good. It was for your guys' benefit. Yeah, not mine. Overton House is a grade A listed building. And the Overton Bridge is a grade B. Uh, too long. Didn't read. Let me shorten it for you. Listed buildings are important. They're beautiful. They're most likely really old. Don't be a dick and respect them. Okay, cool. Now, in 1859, James White, he was a Scottish industrialist, he bought Overton Farm. And in the beginning, it was 900 acres, which feels like a lot. But then he kept buying land, and really quickly he had 2,000 acres. I don't feel like that's a farm anymore. That's just a lot of acreage. That, you, have to, you have to maintain all that, sir. Like, can you imagine? Cutting three acres is a chore. Well, I guess if you have 2,000, you probably have cows and you don't have to. I don't know. But he had a lot of land. Uh, he hired James Smith to design a home in the same style of Balmoral Castle, specifically in Aberdeenshire. He wanted a fancy house, and he got it. The house and the bridge, they're both kind of like Gothic Revival style. The house itself took a thousand men four years to build. No. 
he wanted <laughs> it said that what he wanted was a quaint country home that was quiet away from the hustle and bustle of the city for his family. He built a miniature castle, okay? A quaint country home? Like, bite me. When I read that, I was like, sir. I don't know what he's talking about. He's on crack or something. It has to be, because this is not quaint. This is grand. Uh, The Whites moved into Overton House in 1962, and the house was completed in... in, No, that's not right at all. They moved in in 1862. Have I been saying 19? I don't know. That's fine. (laughs) It was built in 1862. or I'm sorry. They moved in in 1862. It wasn't completed until 1864. And James White lived there with his family until he died in 1884. After his death, his only son, John Campbell White, took over. Now, John Campbell, he was doing it right. He, I don't know how this works. He either became a baron or they, he was like, I have all this land. I'm a baron now. So he started going by Lord Overton. Is that how that works? I can just say I've got all this land. I am Lord Bryce now. I don't know. I tried to Google it and it was really complicated. Uh, Scotland, let me know. How do you become a baron? But he did it. Scotland, let me know how to get 2,000 hectares or acres. (laughs) I went to hectares because I felt like that was right. Acres. And then be a baron. I don't even care about the baron. I just want the acreage. Well, I can't just go by Lord Amanda. Well, I think I would go by lady look can you imagine my dogs on 2,000 acres of just land what dogs my dog he would never see them they would come home to eat i'd see them when they eat (laughs) and when it's cold at least okay yeah true i'd see two of them when it's cold because they're not going outside in the snow the other one i would see her when it was hot outside okay well with 2,000 acres you could have way more than three dogs I could have a whole farm of dogs. Yes. Wait. You could I could have, have 2,000 dogs. One dog per acre. Girl, you could have like 8,000 dogs. That's, that's a lot of mouths to feed. Oh, okay, yeah. That's, I thought we were going by acres. Oh, I'm sorry. 8,000 dogs is a lot, but 2,000 <laughs> is completely rational. 2,000 is fine, guys. What are you talking about? <laughs> Gosh, get it together. My bad. Excuse me. Lord Overton, as John Campbell was now known, he hired a landscape architect and a civil engineer named Henry Milner to build a bridge over a deep ravine to make it easier to get home. Because, obviously, like, I don't know how the hell he got through before, but... Okay, that's not true. There was a smaller bridge before this. It was like a little wooden bridge. And he had them build this. I mean, the walls of it are 18 inches thick. Yeah. She's a bridge. She ain't going nowhere. She's a bridge. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have another word to go with. And a it. house. She's a bridge. And a house. I don't know. Um, the Overton Bridge, it was completed in 18, June of 1895. And it was officially opened by Lady Overton. Okay, Lady Overton. Taking that title. Oh, yeah, she was, so at the end of the bridge on the, poles isn't a good word, but I'm going to say poles, on the little stone poles at the end, it has the date, and it says, like, it was finished this day by Lady Overton. She added the the last brick and completed it. Um, but 
she didn't like it's a straight up lie because it was said that it was opened that day but for whatever reason reason lady overton did not add that brick until two days later she's like shush no one needs to know yeah either that or they were like there's no time you have to cut the ribbon with the comically large scissors either that or she's like that's too much work today i'll break a nail i'll put the brick in later you want me to cut the ribbon and put a brick down I'm going to have to take off my pure white glove. I don't do manual labor. That's why I hired a thousand men to build my house. Someone sourced me this brick. Maybe they just didn't have the brick ready for her. She was like, the white gloves are off. I'm ready. Where's my brick? And they're like, we didn't think you were serious. She's like, where's my brick? So they had to go get her a brick. And it took two days because it's the 1800s. Yeah. That I like that. That makes they sense. had to ride, you know, yeah. into town and then ride back, you know. But by that time, they had already carved it into the bridge, so it had to stay. They yeah. can't just white it out. That would be some BS if they tried to white it out. <laughs> uh, the bridge acts as an approach road or an access road to the property, and it crosses like a narrower part of the little river below it. Um, it was built in Scottish baronial style. It was designed by Milner. In a 19th century Gothic revival style, it's a stone bridge, and the way it's built is with the arches at the bottom. So it has one big arch in the middle, and then two smaller arches on either side of the bridge. I mean, of the of the bridge of the big arch. So it's almost like McDonald's, but add another one. So you let me sit there and struggle with how to sing this song when it's a stone bridge. She's a stone bridge. Yeah, but, I mean, it was clever and I liked it. So I I just went with it. You didn't do a good job. Sorry. I'm upset with you now. Okay, continue. <laughs> it's a stone bridge. She's um, a stone <laughs> bridge. I don't know the rest of that song. I, I know it goes, she's mighty, mighty. She's mighty, mighty. Is it letting it all hang out? Sure, it's know. not. We'll Google later. Yeah. Okay. The walls, like I said, are um, about 18 inches thick. And that's specifically the parapets where you can just kind of, I don't know, look, pretend you're a princess and look out over the side of the bridge. The little circle things on the side that you can stand in yeah. and look. About It's about 50 to 60 feet above the ravine. And that depended on the source. So a couple of them said it was 50. A couple of them said it was 60. But there's also apparently rocks at the bottom of the ravine i doubt they're 10 feet tall but maybe that's why there wasn't a specific i don't know either way it's high lord overton died in 1908 and he when he died he passed the property on to his nephew dr john douglas campbell white he was said to be an occasional resident of the house whatever that means until 1939 when he sold some of the property and then he gave the entire estate to the people of Dunbarton in perpetuity. Perpetuity. Yeah. I googled the how to say that. Okay. Uh, basically, that means no takesies backsies. He gave it to him forever. He can never take it back. Okay. That's fair. I would do yeah. that. No takesies backsies. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you're giving it to a city or like the, the public, probably a good idea. So you don't have an itchy palmed great nephew or something coming in and being like no that's mine yeah 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 
That same year, the house was used as a convalescent home for locals and injured soldiers during World War II. I did include some pictures of some remains that are still on the property in front of the house, not too far from the house and the bridge. There were more pictures, but it was difficult to make out what it was I was looking at. Uh, but there was a base not too far from this house and this bridge as well. So there's like a lot of history on this land. A lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. After World War II, the house was converted to a maternity hospital from 1948 to 1970. And then it was used for a while as a headquarters for a government experiment called the Quality of Life Experiment. Does that not give you the heebie-jeebies? I hate that. Yeah, it was it was good. Like, it was great. It seemed good from what I could find on it. But it's just, that's scary. The scary title. Um, I don't know why that's weird. Like, the Quality of Life Studies. Yeah, that it just sounds like I, I don't too good to be true. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But this one did seem actually good, and it's exactly what it was called. It's where it was um, the government funded experiment to improve the community's quality of life, and they did this through like they had TV and radio programs, sports, music, like all all kinds of stuff. For a short while after that, it was home to the Spire Christian Fellowship. They used it for spiritual education, leisure activities, culture projects. Now, in 2000, Bob and Melissa Hill, they are pastors from Texas. They moved to Scotland and they reached out to West Dunbartonshire Council in 2000. And they asked to lease this home as a residential care facility for women in crisis. West Dunbartonshire, they were like, hell yeah, you can. Uh, They accepted the proposal when the Hills became the directors and overseers in 2001. They started construction and alterations the same year. The reconstruction was completed in 2015 and it was opened in 2017. It had said that basically it took about 3.5 million pounds to redo this home. All of the reconstruction, all of it was donated. Every bit was donated from the community and other, other people abroad in different countries. Which is just absolutely wild. And then I had read somewhere else that the reconstruction, a lot of it was, a lot of it, if not all of it, was also done by volunteers. Like, I don't know who Bob and Melissa Hill are, but they got connections. So nowadays, the the property, um, the house is, like I said, it's a, a women's home. The property around it is a park. And you can actually, you can go in the house I didn't include the pictures because I got a lot of pictures, but it is gorgeous. There's a tea room that you can eat at. The park is really popular because the park also is just gorgeous. It's a very popular park. It's a very popular park. It's a popular park. I know what this. (laughs) Uh, I thought you were going to let it go, but you didn't. No. Do I ever? (laughs) That's the real question is, do I ever? Uh, Actually, you know what? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm still stuck on Koi's, but this is a parkular park. It's a parkular park. How how parkular? How parkular? Um, It's pretty pretty parkour. Parkour. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're not going to hear the end of it from my dad either. No, it's okay. Fine. Basically, this is a spot where people like to be in this ununtouched grass. They like to um, what? Be in the sun and touch grass. Oh, I thought you said Christ. And I was like, 
Why are they? What? I mean, not Christ, but close. We'll get to that. The Overton Estate is located at the foot of the Kilpatrick Hills. So on this estate, in this park, there's woods, there's fields, there's landscaped gardens, there's walking paths. It's got something for everybody. People are often seen riding horses or their bikes around the area. They're having picnics. And it's also known to be very dog-friendly with plenty of space for the dogs to run and explore. Oh, hell yeah. My dogs would love it. We're on our way. No, that's why I'm doing this story. Calm down. Hold on. Okay. So, I told you this is about a strange phenomenon. Uh, every time I say that, I, I it brings me back to Menomina. Okay. Wait, I thought they um, said phenomenon on that one. Maybe it's just because that's what I say. I, I don't know. I say phenomenon, but I think it was Menomina. What in God's name were we talking about? Oh, okay. The phenomena. The phenomena phenomena. So this phenomena is so is is so I want to say well known by this point that they have signs put up warning people to put their dogs on a leash when crossing the bridge. Because this bridge is very commonly known as the suicide bridge. Oh. More specifically, the dog suicide bridge. Oh. Because dogs just jump off the bridge. And multiple sources say they, they don't jump off the They launch themselves off of this bridge. And it happens pretty decent amount. Um, depending on the sources, hundreds of dogs are said to have jumped <clears throat> jump off the bridge since it was built. And I've seen 100, or I would say I've seen... 50 all the way up to 600 are the claims. At least 50 of these dogs have died. People often argue that regardless of how many dogs were reported, like we're, we're never going to know because they expect that dogs could be jumping and we not know because the location is so remote. And it's strange that the dogs that jump from the bridge they are always long-nosed working type dogs like retrievers collies uh terriers and they always jump from the last two parapets on the right hand side of the bridge and it's always on either a sunny or a hot day one source i said i saw said a hot day but i imagine if it's sunny it's going to be hot wait if it's hot it's going to be i don't know I'm not taking my dogs to this bridge. I just want them to explore the surrounding areas. From my understanding, the parking is at the house. So it's kind of hard to avoid. Okay, well, that's fine. Okay, that's normal for me to put my dogs. First of all, my dogs don't go off leash unless it's just us. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm not going to have to chase them down. <laughs> Secondly, a bridge, I feel like that would be like, I would put my dogs on a leash anyways just because i'm trying to get them under control to a spot where i could let them off yeah so i'm i'm not worried about that but we're not hanging out on the bridge oh no because i got three jackasses and at least one of them's a working dog she's not gonna survive oh i I thought you were talking about the hound no he's he doesn't work he lounges ah okay yeah that's why i was confused i was like does he actually work no he's retired he works on his uh, potato bod. <laughs> <laughs> I 
The dogs jumping allegedly started in the 1800s when Lord Overton himself lost some dogs. He had hunting dogs that were trained to hunt the pheasant and foxes, because this is the 1800s. So allegedly multiple of them leapt over the bridge to their deaths, but there is no proof of this. People started reporting their dogs jumping from the bridge in the early 1950s, and the story gained popularity in the late 2000s and early 2010s. So we have heard from a couple people that were interviewed. Victoria Third, in 2001, she took her mom's dog, Bruno, on a walk at Overton House, and she said that they had brought him there before. He liked to run around in the bushes, and this was a normal day. He was kind of just running around and sniffling, and she said that he was a little bit ahead of her when they came up to the bridge, and before she knew it, he had just jumped. Like, she said that he had his paws kind of up on the parapet, on the wall, and then just jumped right off before she could even react. You know, not not happening. Guys, we're not going. Sorry. <laughs> Kenneth Michael, I think is how you say his name. In 2004, he was walking with his family when their golden retriever suddenly bolted and jumped off the bridge. This dog did survive, but it was traumatized. And the report said that it was so traumatized when he went down and picked the, picked the dog up. It was losing its fur. I don't know if that's possible. Um, but I guess it makes for a good story. I don't, I don't know. I don't know on that one. Yeah, I meant to Google that fact and see if they could just immediately lose their fur through trauma. I've heard crazier things, but I don't know. That feels salacious. I mean, that feels like... Maybe they, like, were losing fur for other reasons, but... Yeah. Because I don't think trauma's going to be that quick. Yeah, that was my thing. Like, I don't feel like you're just going to shed your fur, like, I don't know, what like an exoskeleton. I don't know. Right. Like, I'm not saying that they couldn't lose their fur at some point. I'm just, like, feel like... like immediately? Immediately is where I'm yeah. saying it feels off. Yeah. Because I could touch my dog right now and knit you a sweater, but... That's, yeah, that's an issue for Buck, yeah. though. That's just, from my understanding, that's just a husky thing, so... That's just a you problem. Not anymore. I got some really good dryer sheets. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, it's still a you problem. You have to pet him. Uh, I don't call that a problem, though. I mean, you have to pet him and deal with all the fur afterwards. <laughs> that's a problem, yeah. That's what see... I meant, yeah. You should see my bed. Like, I should probably start making my bed just to keep the dog fur off of the sheets. Yeah, who does that? That's just extra insulation. Yeah. I just sleep on James's side. Fine. <laughs> Everyone it's... sleeps on James's side. Except hey, for Buck. Calm down. He occasionally listens. I said except for Buck. Yeah, but you said everyone sleeps on James's side and my husband works night shift. Oh, I'm sorry. James, nobody sleeps on your side. It's contoured to your... It's Everything is about your body there, okay? Sorry. Don't worry. I tell him all the time, like, he ain't gotta work. I can barely deal with him, okay? I've got a husband and two kids. I don't have time for anybody else. I certainly don't have the patience for the ones in my house now, but... I was just saying everyone in the household. Oh, yeah, that's a fact. Because he sleeps with me now, too. Yeah, I, I was just you, painting... I, I won that one. I finally wore James down. To get him to sleep with you? Yeah. Oh, no, you didn't. I didn't even know it was a fight. 
Oh, yeah. I, James is very against surface sleeping, and I'm very for it. And he doesn't always sleep in bed with me, but like when he had RSV, I very much preferred to have him right next to me because when Annie slept with us, I there were a couple times I woke up in the middle of the night and could feel her body was on fire. So I was able to get her, you know, Tylenol and break a fever. Mm-hmm. Oh, but we're talking about a bridge right now. Sorry. Yeah, let's go back to the bridge. Okay. In 2006, Donna Cooper and her son Callum were walking their dog, Ben. And again, Ben just suddenly jumped over the wall. Donna found him at the bottom with his paw, jaw, and back broken and twisted. They took him to the vet who recommended euthanizing him instead of putting him through all the pain it would be to treat and heal. So Ben, unfortunately, did not make it. I don't like that. Finally, in 2014, Alice Trevorrow, she was walking in the area with her son and their Springer Spaniel, Cassie. They had just parked and Alice had let Cassie out, but she didn't put a leash on her because she said Cassie was always really obedient. But as she and her son walked towards Cassie, Alice said that she was focused on something above the bridge. And she maintains that Cassie saw something that made her jump that day because again she said this is very out of character a lot of people say when their dogs jump is they're not they're not just you know bad behaved dogs and Cassie wasn't she was very well behaved I mean she let her out of the car without a leash on her I can't do that with my dogs I mean I can do that with my dogs but that's because we have their shock collars on them by then Oh, yeah, no, I can't do that with Bob. We have their virtual leash on them. They're electric. Mm-hmm. They're non, they're a leashless, they're no wireless leash. <laughs> they're leashless leash. Leashless. We're both struggling tonight. Oh my God. They're wireless leash. You know, you should, co- you need to copyright that and come out with your own wireless <laughs> leash called the leashless leash. The leashless leash? Yeah, the leashless leash. And then you need to get Sean Connery to do your commercial. Okay, done. I have that money to spend on that, I promise. Perfect. Hey, it's almost tax time, okay? Yeah, I don't get money back. (laughs) You insane? Yes. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. (laughs) Now, Cassie, she survived this fall, but she did spend six days in an animal hospital. Alice said that when she saw Cassie jump, her whole body just went cold. And still to this day, she can remember hearing the yelps, which just breaks my freaking heart. Mm -mm. No, thank you. She had never known. Now, she was local, but she had never heard about this bridge's reputation. So she had absolutely no idea. And she begged the local council to put the signs up. It was unclear if this is why they put the signs up or not. But there are signs up now. And I think I have a picture. I saw a picture of the sign, yeah. Yep. It's just a little sign. It says, Dangerous Bridge, keep, please keep your dog on a leash. On a lead, excuse me. Use the now correct word, please. The leashless leash. Leashless leash. It's not a leashless lead. It's not a leashless lead. Is it a leadless lead? Or a leadless leash? I don't know. It's something. It's Just add the shushes in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just add some noises in there and you've got whatever I said. Just keep shin. 
Yeah, you'll get it eventually. It's fine. There's a few reasons why people think the dogs may be prone to jumping off the bridge. They, some people think it's an optical illusion. 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 I I shushed all my words out. So (laughs) (laughs) it's an optical illusion of some kind. The walls of the parapets are three foot high. So it's above the line of sight for a dog. And they think, you know, since they, they don't see beyond the walls of the bridge, they don't see a huge drop on the other side. And there's also no visual cues that would lead a dog to believe they're on a bridge. The way I saw this explained was there's still trees and shrubs around the bridge. So I guess the dog just, I don't know, there's a tree there. Obviously, there's ground. and But why would the dog jump over anything and not just like fall? I don't know. Like, that just feels like that's a big jump. Why would they that's jump a- over that wall? Yeah. And that is what Alice Trevorrow kept saying with Cassie. Like, she's not, she's, something made her. And that's what we don't know. Um, some people say that the bridge is haunted. People claim that when they're walking across the bridge, they'll get bad feelings. One gentleman. Yeah, because it's about causing him. dogs to jump. I would get a bad feeling, too. Yeah, honestly. Like, I I don't know. This place is really pretty, and there's a lot of history here, but I don't know if I want to go. Leave the little puppuccinos alone. Jeez. Little pup pups. One guy, we'll talk about him, he claimed that as he was looking over the bridge, he felt phantom fingers aggressively poking him in the back, kind of like he said jabbing, like they were trying to push him off. I mean, did he deserve it? I'm sorry. That was... uh, he doesn't think he deserved it, I'm sure. He's something else, this guy. Oh, okay. I want to buy his book. I'll say that. There's a picture of him. You tell me what you think. I picked that picture specifically for you. And I also want you to zoom in oh, on that this book. man. This yeah, is the man. Is Paul okay. Owens. I was questioning who he was and if he was supposed to be in there. Yes, I get into okay. him more later. Oh, no. Mm-mm. That sounded bad. Um, I'll talk about him more later. <laughs> but I just really wanted you to see the, the cover of that book. It is absolutely is magnificent. That is horrible. I don't, I don't <laughs> want his book. It shows two dogs at minimum jumping, jumping yeah. off that bridge. Mm-hmm. I don't want and I'm pretty book. sure if you look on the right-hand side, you'll see a guy with a cape. I think that's him. I think that's the Baron. No, I think that's him. Like a picture of him, it's supposed to be the Baron. Because the book is titled, guys, The Baron of Rainbow Rainbow Bridge. Overton's 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 Death Leaping Dog Mystery. That's why I'm thinking it's the Baron, not him. Where the heck? It also looks like the guy has a mustache. This guy, not a mustache, a beard. This guy definitely doesn't have a beard. I should have put a picture of the actual book on there. I'm Googling it right now. Okay. Oh, he has a website. You can purchase it on... Let me scroll down. Did I not put his website in here? What is wrong with me? I think it's paulowens.org. Yeah, it is. Yep, there it is. paulowens.org. I know I had it. Oh, no, that's definitely not him. Oh, okay. I Just kidding. My bad. It's not him, I promise. Let me just pull an image in. 
But I will give him a plug. So Paul Owens, he is the author of The Baron of Rainbow Bridge, Overton's Death Leaping Dog Mystery Unraveled. You can get it on his website, paulowens.org, for 15 pounds or about $20 US, 20 US dollars. Okay, what's the point of his book? What is his book about? It is about, I'll tell you later. Okay. Because I do get into it. It's just a little further down. Also, I would like you to look at the cover of the book. Oh, that's not him at all. Yeah. Yep, my bad. That's the Baron. Just, if you don't do anything else, look, we'll, we'll post a picture of the book. I'm sure we can. Oh, I'm sure we'll be fine. So, the people believe that the bridge is haunted by the White Lady of Overton. Now, this is the, the wife of Lord Overton. Uh, Lady Overton, she's said to wander the bridge a lot after her husband died. And some people claim to have caught a photo of her ghost in a window of the house that's overlooking the bridge. And that is that photo, that very first one, titled, well, now it's the second one, titled Lady Overton. Do you see anything in that photo? I mean, I don't see a person. I see, like, trees. See, that's that's all that I see. I do not see a like person it looks- in that window. It looks like the reflection of the trees outside to me. Mm-hmm. And the most I can maybe make out is like an eye. But again, it still looks like trees. It looks like it's an optical illusion of how the light's reflecting and showing the trees in that window. Like it's a clean window, apparently. But yeah. And see, I'm the same way. I can maybe make out two eyes and a mouth. But if that was someone looking out the window, their face would be huge. That It, it, it looks half the window. It looks cartoonish to me. Yes, perfect. You know what? It looks like one of those faces that you stick in the trees that has the two eyes and the mouth. Oh, you don't know about those? Oh, my girl. I feel like these would be right up your alley. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, people claim that they see her in that window if you see it tell me where because i don't but i don't know i'm just here to tell the story um now bob hill (laughs) they were interviewed oh it was great guys he said in this interview that the ghost of lady overton originated as a prank two guys ran a cable from one of the towers down to the bridge and they set up like a sheet to fly down it and as it flew down they were like oh it's a ghost they were yelling and it kind of just snowballed into what the story is today bob is adamant that the house is not haunted they've seen no evidence and after he says this melissa is quick to add well um we got angels so you don't have ghosts mm-hmm. it's not haunted but there's angels yes i believe uh something was said like so there's no paranormal activity in the house and melissa was like wait a minute we didn't well... say that not ghosty paranormal activity, yeah. but, you know, the safe kind, the angel kind. Uh, I don't know how safe <sighs> angels are. I don't know either. And these angels that they see are nine feet tall. That doesn't feel very comforting. Isn't that scary? Why are I, angels so tall? Seems, uh, seems a little bit excessive. And also, if they're nine feet tall, what is their wingspan? Look, I don't like things that fly. Why are you asking me that? <laughs> okay. Fair point. I thought it's I thought it ended at birds though. I didn't know. 
No, things that airplanes are fine. If it flies <laughs> on its own without technology, I'm done. Okay, my bad. Well, um, anyway, they have seen these nine foot tall angels in multiple rooms, and they are said to be like perfectly clear, clear as day. It's not hard to see, and they're kind of glowing. Bob, he saw one angel looking out of the window. And in the same room, he claims a man told a man told him that he could see angels hovering above him. Now, here is my problem with this. Um, they this was said in, and not so much Bob. Bob. Bob's pretty believable. Okay, he saw an angel looking out the window, but the guy, he said that he saw these angels hovering above him in the angel room and this room in this house is called the angel room because there are literal cherubs painted on the ceiling bryce okay well of course he saw them hovering above him they're on the fucking ceiling yeah that's that's how that's how i felt about the whole thing i just texted you a picture um because it is it is very much like sistine chapel-esque angels on the on the ceiling so they are literally flying around your head so okay question was okay. he on the buttweed when he went <laughs> is that um, why they were flying like obviously they're stationary but is that why he believes they were moving um i have never gotten buttweed that makes that happen so okay maybe I he had know. some recreational weed that wasn't buttweed I've never even had recreational weed that was, makes that happen. Was he on some edibles? Some real strong edibles? I think he would have had to be on, uh, like, uh, maybe a little bit of LSD. Some crack cocaine? Possibly, yeah. Um, I'm not really sure. Maybe he did see angels. I, you know what? I don't know. He did. We can confirm well, he saw yeah. the cherubs. That's true. He literally, he did see the angels. We know yeah. that. As long as he looked up, he saw them. And yeah. I mean, why would you not? There's angels painting on the ceiling. Was he playing the, the, what the hell story did I cover last week? The Three Kings game where there are chairs and <gasps> mirrors pointing? Was oh. it an optical illusion? That's a him problem. You know what? He should have stopped. The door was open and he went in anyway. Or was it closed? Open. So if you it's closed it on your way out, yeah. Yeah, okay, the door was open and he went in anyway. I think, I don't remember, that was last week. Yeah, that was a long time ago. We block those out as soon as we can, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Once we present, it's out of there. Yeah, unless it's like was... a really, really good one, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can't think of any of them. But most of them stick for five seconds after we talk about it and then afterwards i'm like okay we're done yeah it's out well, of my I, brain i wrote a whole paragraph of notes that bryce has already covered okay so <laughs> obviously you know what's funny i was actually gonna ask if it was the same system that they used as the <laughs> highgate cemetery in the uk but then you kept going and you were like abc i was like oh so it's the same same system <laughs> I wish you would have asked because you would have absolutely blown my mind. I would have been like, you know about this? 
Yeah, I talked about it. Yeah, you're the one that taught me. <laughs> we discussed it, not in depth, but we discussed it briefly. <sighs> All right, so this guy, he's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it's... he's got going on, but he sees angels. Okay. Um, Melissa, she saw an angel in an upstairs bedroom. And she said that he was sitting in a rocking chair while looking out the window. And he turned his head and looked at Melissa and said, it's going to be okay. And then he just disappeared. What's going to be okay? What, what do you mean? What? What is it? Why are you having to tell me it's going to be? What? No. Done. I like that that's what, you're, what you clung to. I want to know how big this rocking chair is that a nine foot tall angel is sitting in it. Just because they're nine feet tall does not mean they're husky. They can fit in it. It's fine. They might just have their knees up a little higher. Or they could have had. I wasn't even thinking like overweight. That's what I'm thinking. Like, how do you even rock the chair from that angle? Wait, now I have a question. Don't okay. angels have wings? Yes. How do they sit in a rocking chair with their wings? Crush them. Is that painful? I don't know. I don't have wings. I would imagine so. Wait, do angels feel? I imagine so. Okay, wait. <laughs> so many questions. Somebody call a priest. Call all the priests, please. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question. Do angels, can they sit in a rocking chair and does it hurt their wings and can they feel pain? <laughs> Just a couple of questions from a wild Wednesday night. Also, what <laughs> is going to be okay? What is it? Uh, yeah. Oh, maybe he was talking about because the chair was uncomfortable. And he crushed <laughs> his wings. It's going to be okay because I'm yeah. leaving. It's going to be okay. I can just snap poof gone. I don't need the wings. They're really just there for look. They're beautiful. Look yes. how white and feathery and fluffy they are. No, you fly unnaturally. Mm -mm. Yeah, he does. He's been crammed in this tiny rocking chair. Poor guy. He's probably got a kink in his wing. Maybe he was able to, like, you know, he's got magical voodoo already going on. Do Maybe. angels have voodoo? Is that... I did not know that. I've never well, read the Bible, but... I haven't read the Bible I either. would if I knew there was angels doing voodoo in it. I, I need to get you... Right now. We need to get the, the woke Bible that's out there. Or the new one. I think I sent you one where it's, like, translated to, like, modern... <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. Amanda knows what I'm talking about, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too, but there is a version of the Bible that is translated into, like, today's language. And my God, I, anytime I, I see those <laughs> clips of someone reading from it, I laugh my ass off. Like, I'm looking for it, and I want to know what it's called now. I've, I've seen it referred to as the Gen Z Bible. I think that's probably it. I don't know why I said woke, but maybe that's what we need to read next. <laughs> okay <laughs> i will go buy a bible right now i have room on my bookshelf for the gen z bible you hear that pod father <laughs> look we will not make our beds but we will read the bible as long as it is a gen z translation has to be because that is really entertaining oh. guys literally go to tiktok and just type in the Gen Z, Gen Z Bible. Bible. Oh my God, yeah. it's so funny. Guys, it's the funniest. Thing. It's my favorite thing. Okay, I'm sorry. We're way off track. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've been doing that a lot tonight. 
We did that a lot last time too. Sorry. Oh, okay. We gotta we gotta get it together. Look, it's nine eighteen, which means it's ten eighteen oh. for you. I'm tired. Ooh, okay. I'm actually almost done. Um, so he was okay. So the angel was stuck in the rocking chair. Okay, but then he wasn't because he just snap poofed gone. Okay. Bob and Melissa they maintain that the dogs smell mink that are popular in the area, and they jump over the walls, not knowing about the drop, or they jump up onto the walls, and the root the the roof. The top of the walls is kind of tapered or like sloped. So they say that the dogs might jump up there, slip, and just fall off. Another, or this is another really commonly talked about theory the mink. A canine psychologist, Dr. David Stans, he was interviewed too. This guy has a doctorate in animal behavior. So if anybody should be able to figure this out, it should be him. He believes that mink are mainly to blame. He collected animal waste from the ravine and he he set it up in a field. This is the experiment that he did. And he had animal waste from mink, squirrel, and a mouse. Well, maybe mice. I don't know. He Just took one little mouse turd. Yeah, he took one. That's all it that's all they that's all they needed. These are dogs. They got way better noses than we do. He took 10 long-nosed dogs and just kind of let them go and let them investigate the scents. And it was Border Collars, Terriers, Collars? Border Collies. I was going to let that one slide for you for tonight. I heard it. See, but you just said earlier you never let them slide, so. I was going to surprise you for once <laughs> and let, let it slide, but you didn't let it slide. So Border Collars okay. with the leashless leashes. <laughs> <laughs> They also had, well, it, they were leashless because he let him go. Uh, border collars, terriers, Dalmatians, and a blind poodle. Blind poodle. Yeah, standard poodle. He was precious. Nine out of ten of these dogs went straight to the mink. And based on this experiment, he claims that the smell of the link, the mink coming the from the uh, Y'all, it's late, okay? The smell of the mink coming from the land <laughs> under the bridge is just too ears is simply irresistible and the dogs cannot ignore it and they just jump right off now paul owen our guy paul here the book author he on his website he quoted himself saying dogs stop making that face dog he quoted himself though i can't i mean I only assume he made the website and this quote was like in a very obvious place on that website. So, okay. okay. Uh, dogs have leaped from Overton Bridge in all seasons and from every part of the viaduct with teams of scientists, animal experts, psychics, ghost hunters, and dowsers all visiting the bridge there. Oh, excuse me. All visiting the bridge. There has been little agreement between mystery hunters as of the as to the cause of the dog leaping phenomenon, which he he has a point. Yeah, I'm just I'm gonna give him credit because I like the term mystery hunters. I do. Uh, yeah, I liked that too. He believes that Overton Bridge has some kind of mystic power. He says that it's possible that dark spirits are leading dogs to their deaths, and this is a theory allegedly shared. By more than one person in this community. 
And unfortunately, um, I'm not going to go into it because I'll probably do a story on it. But also because it's horribly tragic. Um, in 1994, 32-year-old Kevin Moy threw his two-week-old baby boy off of this bridge. Kevin Moy was a paranoid schizophrenic, and he had come to believe that he was the Antichrist and his son was Satan. And he claimed he chose this bridge due to his association with dark spirits going back to Druidic days. So that kind of uh, wasn't... It, it, it led credibility, lent credibility to this theory, unfortunately. This tragedy, it led more people to believe that the bridge did hold some sort of paranormal power. It is thought to be a thin place. And in Celtic folklore, a thin place is a place where the veils between our world and the next are thinner than usual. Dogs, being sensitive to the paranormal, people believe that they can sense this and they're lured by something to jump off the bridge. It, but when it, Oh my god. It's what? the two-week-old baby getting his army of 8,000 dogs. Honestly, he deserves it. If anybody not, deserves 8,000 dogs... I'm not arguing, but let's not do this. No. By all means. When it comes down to it, um, Paul has a point. Out of everybody that's investigated the bridge, animal behaviorists, paranormal researchers, journalists, uh, the Scottish Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, nobody can agree on why this happens. Mm -hmm. So it's recommended, y'all just put your dogs on a leash. Don't test it. How about I just don't take my jackass dogs? That too. That sounds great. I said, don't take my jackass dogs, and I heard one of them grumble. Was that it Maisie? One. No, it's that one. Oh. The black one right there. <laughs> Bentley. That's the, that's the horrible story of the dog suicide bridge. I don't like that, and I don't know why you would put that on me. Sorry. How rude. I did think it was... It's just... Why? Why do you... I want to know. For You're that. You're telling me out of... Out of... All the technology we have today. And also that it took that long to put up a sign. Come on, guys. Yeah, putting up a sign, is con the, that part's a little confusing to me, I guess. Like, just put up a damn sign. Yeah. Who's it gonna hurt? I even read that there was a member of parliament that was like, guys, we to put up a damn sign. Who's that it gonna hurt, you know? Exactly like that? Yeah, that's exactly what she said. No, she that, didn't look like she would say that at all. She looked like a proper lady. Oh, not like us. No, not at all. <laughs> no. Not at all. Not at Did we all. laugh about it? No, <laughs> not, not us. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I don't like your story, if we're going to be honest, because it's going to make me cry. Sorry. I'm not taking my dogs there. So, look, <laughs> we can't have two downers. I thought we agreed to this. Um, I don't recall. Look, when we have a two down, I told you you were going to hate it. In my defense, I text you. In my defense, I didn't read what you said. What did I say? Hold on. Something about know. you're not going to like it, I think. Yeah, in no, my defense. I don't even remember what I said. I said, I saw not in like, and I said, nah, I don't want to read this. Look, in my defense, you were asking me to do you favors for your oh. research. Oh my God. And I didn't even put it in it. Guys. I was losing my mind because when I was researching, 
I was looking at, okay, he had the house built in, what what did I say? 1852 or so? I don't know. I wasn't. I was just like, look, I did what you asked me to. Stop ask, Stop giving me homework. Yeah, basically they moved in and I got the name of the architect wrong. And this name, this guy is also a Scottish architect. So I was like, how did he build this house if he died six years before the house was built? I don't understand. And I told Bryce, I was like, can you just like Google this and tell me what you found? And she found the same thing. Yes, because I got the first name wrong. You know what's great is I was trying to defend him and be like, have you thought maybe he designed it before it was built? At, like, before he died, and then he died, and then it was uh, built? And she's like, got, no, that's not it. That's not right. I got it mixed up with the guy that built the castle, uh, designed and built the castle that this house was based off of. How did I do that? I don't know. Because apparently we struggle right now. We struggle so much. Oh my gosh. You guys, if you didn't know it, we struggle. But I think we yeah. I think we share that with you guys every week. Mm-hmm. It's just a regular struggle bus around here. Oh, in my defense, I didn't say this earlier. Everybody in my house is sick except me. So I, I think I mean, I'm allowed to struggle. I'm also sick, but... Welcome to Hell on Hills podcast, where we're all sick all the time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Annie's fault, too, because Annie is like the queen of illness. She's always sick. And I know people tell me, like, well, once they're in daycare or once they're in school, they're always sick. But she's always I sick. Don't know the last time she wasn't sick. I'm more shocked when Amanda goes, Oh no, Annie's not sick. Like <laughs> Are you sure? Like that's yeah. Annie's always oh, it's like sure. every week I'm like, oh, Annie's sick. What does she have now? Like for if people that are in the US, they'll understand. But for people outside of the US, um, we don't get a lot of paid time off when you have a child, Mm-mm. um, because we're what? Do, what do they call us? A third world modern country? Something? I don't know. I don't we, know. We, we suck. Okay, you got to go right back to work. Stitch you up. Put a stitch in it. Get back to your computer, basically. So, um, so when your child is sick, it's even harder. Mm-hmm. But and that's why, like, that's why I only only got paid for six weeks. No, I didn't. I got paid for five weeks in one day um, because I didn't I couldn't use my sick time because I'm like, wait a minute. I've got two kids under the age of three right now. Um, I'm going to need my sick time. I can't use it to on maternity leave. So mm-hmm. <sighs> here we are. the joys. Kids are great. Have kids, right? That's what everyone yeah. says. They're all snot and smiles. They're wonderful. Not smiles and cooties. Mm-hmm. And Actually, if you're lucky, no. like, oh, I just found out why Annie is sick all the time. Oh, because why? she eats out of the trash can. Who lets her eat out of the trash can? I mean, I stop her, but she's tall enough to reach it now, and she can open things. And so she's you- hungry all the time. So she's just scrapping. She's like, you don't feed me enough. I feed her so much and she is at the point where I can ask her like do you want more and she'll even tell me what she wants more of but she just really wanted them moldy blackberries that I threw out and she could not wait for me to put them on her plate so I turn around and she's got blackberry all over her face and I'm like every time she goes near the trash can now I'm like what is the trash rule in not out only in 
Always. And does she and go, I don't care, I'm going in? She laughs. She's and like, she I in. don't care what you say, lady. Yeah. She hasn't ate out of the trash for a long time. But I love I'd that you're like, you the would. reason she's always sick is because she eats out of the trash, but she hasn't eaten out of the trash in a long time. Well, the last time he went to the doctor, I had to physically stop her from licking the floor. So there's also that. So she's a window and floor licker, I'm assuming. I don't know what's wrong with my child. She's your child. normal? Like, I know everyone's always told me toddlers try to put everything in their mouth. Yeah, but the floor? They just, she's (laughs) gotta give it a taste test. You don't, though. We're in a pediatrician's office. Everything is on that floor. I did not say uh, we have to give it a try. I said she's got to give it a try. But why? Why do you have to try all the because time? Because her toddler mind is like, wonder what this tastes like. Either that or her toddler mind is like, I want, want to see how my mom's going to have a heart attack today. That's the one. That's, That's it. the one. Yeah. I figured it out. Done. Mm-hmm. Bingo, because bingo. when she licks the floor and she says, yuck, and then she does it again. Which is when I had to physically stop her because why are you doing it again? You said yuck. She's you like had to yuck. make sure it was nasty. She was like, "Lady, stop me! <laughs> if you're gonna be a good parent, hello, I can only do so much. There's you're some like, things I'm. Not, I love you, and I will be here. But there's some things I cannot help you with. You cannot save her from her own uh, dingleberry tendencies. Uh, yes, that is the perfect way of putting it." Okay, well, it's good to know that uh, Annie believes you don't love her enough to stop her from licking the floor. <laughs> She's like, all right, you want to go again? I'll do this again. We got all day. Maybe that's what it is. She's sinking contention because she has a brother now. And she's like, you know what? Mom hates when I do gross things. You know what? Mom loves when I lick the floor, though. My mom, the germaphobe, who gets sick if someone with a cold even looks at her, would just adore me if i licked this floor she might even hang out with me if i licked the floor i'm going to vomit (laughs) just and was it like full like like a little lick or was it like tongue oh it was full like her tongue was on that floor so hard her tongue was also on her chin like it was smashed between the two her and the floor got a little intimate there it was full it was like she was licking an ice cream cone oh gosh all right well you know what as we uh wrap up this conversation thank you all for listening to helen hills podcast to see pictures from this episode you can follow us on instagram helen hills podcast x formerly twitter helen hills pod facebook by searching helen hills podcast you can find us on linktree by typing in helen hills podcast if you want to support us please like review rate share and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms if you want to take your support one step further so we can create additional content for you, you can donate through Patreon where we're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, suggestions, or just words of encouragement, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell or refresh your friends to listen with you as well. Bye! Bye!